The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear a brilliant marketer talk through the strategy, framework, and tactics used to elevate their brands to new heights. Ready to hear untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the Rebrand Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where, as you know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. Join us is Casey Gann, who's the Vice President of Growth at Bold Commerce, which is a checkout company that leading retailers and D2C brands like Vera Bradley, Harry Rosen, Staples Canada, Sitka Salmon, who trust to convert shoppers in more places. Yesterday, Casey and I talked about rebranding B2B companies. Uh, today, we're going to really dive into all things checkout, changing the way brands think about checkout. Got a tech company from Austin, super cool company we heard about yesterday. Uh, here's my conversation with Casey Gannon, Vice President of Growth at Bold Commerce. Welcome back. Thank you. All right, let's freaking talk about checkout. Like how has checkout changed over the last decade, five years, even two oh. years? Like it seems like it's changed so much. Like what's checkout of the future? Is it going to continue to evolve? I, I would guess there's just so many crazy stuff now with payments, how you pay your friends, how you buy stuff on Instagram, how you buy stuff from, via email, how you buy stuff on Amazon. Like it's crazy. So learn us up on this topic as brand marketers on this show. Yeah. Well, the way we talk about it, so you say that checkout's in its third generation, sort of the classification that we came up with. I think you could kind of dice it up however you want. But when we think about checkout now, so checkout's one of the last areas of any shopping experience to get personalized. Really, any other portion of your website, you've personalized. And you're A-B testing against what's working with different segments. Brands aren't doing that with checkout. This is the last area of personalization that needs to happen. So that's where I'd say we are right now. Checkout originally was... Can you even do it? And then it started to become a little bit more complicated with additional payments. And now it's all about complete personalization. So that experience that your consumer wants, whether it's the payment options, a firm, the buy now, pay laters of the world, but providing pretty much every option that your consumer wants. I would say that the future of checkout is probably really built into like IoT. I mean, it's about removing. I almost need to think I want to buy that and the transaction happens. I don't know how you get there. But that's where brands need to end up, right? Like that simple. Right now, if you go to a checkout, it's usually all the same forms. When everybody already has my information, why am I filling out all of these forms? You already know how I want to pay. I use three different payment methods, no matter mm. what I'm And also, you should know when consumers want to buy. It should be that simple. And I think some of these really large brands testing this out with IoT, I think about silly things all the time because I'm in the industry. I think about how I want to pull up to the gas station and I should be able to pop my gas. I shouldn't have to put a card in. I shouldn't have to do anything. There should be a recognition of who I am. <laughs> Charge my card. Let me go. Almost like a toll booth, right? Some RFID tracker. I don't know. But it should be that simple 
every single transaction. Well, that's coming. I mean, we're going to have payments in our arm, correct? Yeah, yeah probably. If you want it, I don't know. It's like half the population will. <laughs> I know. There, there's some biblical stuff around that. It freaks people out, I think. But efficiency and marketing standpoint sounds awesome. Yeah, for sure. But I would say right now, it's about personalization. That is the key to check out. And I know it sounds so old school because everyone's been talking about- Wait, say that again. Say that again. What's right the key? now, the, it, personalization. Personalized. Yeah. And I know personalization is such an overused word because we've been saying it, but we've never done it for checkout. I feel like we haven't. Wow. Because we should be able to map the data out, especially subscribers and email subscribers. And I mean, there's a lot of first party data that are already existing, I would think, right? Yeah. I mean, all of that data exists out there. It's getting a hold of it. And also just knowing your consumer, they're shopping from so many channels now. And it's no longer, I go on my desktop and we've known this for a little while, right? But I, I go on my desktop and I research something and I purchase. It's coming through an Instagram ad that you just saw from Ninfluencer. And I'm on my iPhone and I definitely want to use Apple Pay and I want to hear tomorrow, right? Like, you know who's buying, why they're buying, how they're buying, what their intent is when they're buying. And we apply all of that information to the initial experience. So I'm sending them right to the product page or I'm sending them to this search on the website, but you're not applying it to the checkout and to being able to hmm. purchase the checkout. Cool. What do you see in terms of maybe some consumer trends that you've felt surprised by or you think is an opportunity for brands today? Oh, in the checkout space or in general? <laughs> it could be in general or it could be in the checkout space too. Just, I mean, you see via checkout, I mean, you have to see a ton of trends that are super interesting. Like how does that ladder up to maybe bigger consumer trends? Or maybe it's just micro checkout trends that could ladder up to some consumer yeah. trends. I mean, honestly, I think the biggest one, and I, I kind of alluded to this, is that I don't think checkouts are happening on the website anymore. I think they are. I don't think consumers want them to. A good example, we're working with an automotive brand right now that is really popular with the content they create. So videos and their blogs. And so we've built it in, in all of our testing with them, that you can go through the blog, you've got the video, and you check out right on the page. So the page becomes your checkout. You say, here's all the items they used, want to buy them all, it pops up, put in your information, it's done. You're not going to their website, you're not going to a catalog. So that idea of, I saw something I like, and I'm going to go to the catalog and look at it, buy it, I think it's disappearing. People, people are watching TikTok and they want to buy right from that video that they're watching on TikTok. They're watching YouTube. They're out in the world. They want to buy it live, right? And so I think probably the channel and where they're buying is the biggest change you're starting to see. And it's the more brands enable it, the more that they will benefit from it. It's just not as readily available as I think consumers want. That's very interesting. I wonder, I mean, this futuristic world of all the platforms competing, I've really seen the last probably two years, I call it kind of the year of Amazon e-commerce, where maybe the two years before that, I felt like the undervalued play was certainly Instagram and Facebook. Now, I think Amazon's kind of had its day. And I think the emerging trend that I hear from most e-commerce brands that are that TikTok is performing at the top because the algorithm is so freaking good. So I think great e-commerce brands are certainly finding the early wins of gaming the systems and getting in before the big money comes in and floods the market. Where do you, And then, of course, email and loyalty is still a major piece. I even think retail like brick and mortar is bringing kind of this experiential piece back to brands. And you're seeing e-commerce brands investing more into brick and mortar, which is sort of interesting. It's almost a marketing play that could make small margins of money. But I don't know. What do you think? Like, what's the next trend do you think or, or hyper trend or 
is it maybe, I think I heard from you the last two episodes, which I think is super interesting is there's so many ways to personalize checkout and add upsell. And it's not just about conversion and shopping cart abandonment kind of shit that we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just about that. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about the brick and mortar because I'm always watching this is the digital aspect, the e-com aspect to such a play in the brick and mortar world. So there's a couple of stores that carry brands I really love. And I don't shop there anymore because I can't go online look to see if they have it and then them expose their inventory to me or me purchase and do Bopis, right? Like these feel like table stakes, especially after COVID is doing Bopis or even curbside pickup. And I think, so you're starting to see every brand realizing they have to integrate their online and offline. And I do think that it's going to be a lot more pop-up stores and experiences. And I don't think they'll carry inventory. I think you're going to continue to see these pop-up stores. I think they're going to bring in influencers. They're going to make them full experiences. So you're not just coming into a store, you're coming into, I don't know, music or art or something. And you're purchasing through an app with a QR code immediately. And it's being shipped to you. We're going to continue. hundred percent, which then you count as e-commerce sales through your Shopify website, like the golf company. We go to golf tournaments, they sell speakers at a golf tournament and it runs through the Amazon store. So we're making customers still buy them online. They ship to them like same thing. I love that you said that because this drives me nuts. And I consulted with several executives on this is that around the idea of businesses, you still have a brick and mortar business and an e-com business because you don't. They're it's stupid. A hundred percent. Fully integrated. And you're starting to see like Hot Topic does a really great job. I think it's Hot Topic. I'd have to double check that. I'm pretty sure it's Hot Topic. If we're getting rid of all of our warehouses. We've all this square footage in these malls and that's going to be where our inventory lies. And that's going to give us the ability to ship one to two day to every single consumer that we have. So no more centralized warehouses. We're using our as, as shipping. And they're starting to see people come in the stores, purchase and actually have, buy what they have in store and then ship the rest home. And they're fine with that if they're getting it in one to two days. Right? I mean, it's what Amazon did. It's why they're buying warehouses all over. That's how they, yeah, that's how they're A hundred percent. I mean, like, I'll give you the most crazy example. I just got engaged recently and I wanted to go look at rings at a mall just to get an idea, right? Like Blue Nile has a place at the mall, which is historically like the diamond, original e-commerce diamond player. And you go to the store, you can't buy anything at the store. It's just a place to look at shit. And then they, you go online and buy it. So like, I could not agree more that it is one thing and people still want to look and feel and shop and handle and trust. And I think similar to maybe even out of home marketing, I think brick and mortar just continues to establish that they're like a trusted for real brand. And it reinforces the legacy and the power, I think, of brands in some way. And again, the margins probably aren't what they used to be if you're just calculating that channel. It's really some brands, the experience is part of the brand, right? If you're not competing purely on price point, there's some part of the brand, whether it's like a surf brand or a soccer brand or like I don't know. There are a ton of examples, but it's part of the experience. And so they're looking for ways to give consumers that experience back since they're not coming in store. So if you're Beats by Dre, do you want to have headphones in a store or do you want to be putting on concerts where people are testing out your headphones, then QR code buying and you're shipping them to them, right? Like it's about an experience and that's how they're maintaining their value within their brand. I mean, you're speaking my language. I think just experiences in general is where I see most consumers being aligned, whether you're a boomer 
or Gen Z. And people are certainly craving experiences more than anything else. And if you look at consumer spending, experiences are still at all time high. Look at the sphere in Vegas. Like I think that like what an experience like that's going to be I can't for wait somebody. To I cannot wait to go. I was here because, you know, we have an office in Vegas and I'm in Vegas a lot. And a lot of my clients are in Vegas. And I was like, okay, this thing's going to be kind of stupid. Like it took them like 10 years to build. I think they spent $2.1 billion on that thing. And what their whole play is, which is super interesting, they're a B2B brand. They're selling that technology around the world. Like that's just the proof of concept for the technology and the patents they have on that kind of immersive technology. So it won't pencil out money wise in terms of ticket sales. Right. Even with YouTube concerts and stuff in there, it won't. It's how they're launching their brand as a B2B brand. Yeah. It's really I cool. mean, I've just been impressed with the videos I've seen because I kind of wrote it off too. I was like, okay, just like a whole bunch of screens again. Like I'm tired of being surrounded by screens all the time. But even the videos, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I need to go to that. I'm going to have to. Yeah. Go. Um, I mean, when that YouTube thing, anyway, was a side note, but. <laughs> Well, the other thing I think is that we're still in a world of Amazon, right? It's Amazon's world still. Experiences are the key differentiator. The only experience Amazon provides is convenience. That's their play. And so if you can figure out how to add the convenience on top of the experience, which is what using your stores as your warehouses versus a centralized warehouse to do immediate shipping, using one click to pay like an Apple Pay or you can mm-hmm. still Amazon even at that point. You can do that in store too. It doesn't have to be the credit card in store. You can offer those Amazon is what Google first was for brands. It's search marketing. That's what Amazon is today. That's it. It's I need X, Y, and Z. You type it in Amazon and it's an SEO, SEM search marketing strategy. It's the same strategy for Google, which is what cracked me up about Amazon specific agencies, which there are some good ones. I've had them on the show. But yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. But if you can add that experience as a brand can be truly differentiated, then you have more Shopify or e-commerce sales direct. It's going to happen because you have an audience, you have demand, not just demand for the category, but demand for your specific brand because you're very unique. And then you can still clean up on Amazon just being on there. But yeah, it's a total Google search play, in my opinion, today. 100%. You've got to be looking, what we talked about earlier is if looking at just conversion, then yeah, maybe you're going to sell quite a bit more on Amazon, but you're not looking at your AOV and you're not looking at your lifetime value at that point. You're not bringing those consumers back. You see brands try, they put things in boxes or they'll send like a weird email about needing some feedback so that they can try to get you in their system. But it's not the same thing. You're not building a relationship with the consumer. You're not upselling them to increase the average order value. You're not building an experience with them that brings them back. Most likely don't have access to them again to let them know when they need to add something else. You've got a new launch. They need to replace something on whatever they bought. You miss all of that opportunity with those consumers. So you're just playing on conversion and price plan. And then Another company from China is going to rip off your exact thing and put it on Amazon. I was totally back. But yes, there are so many brands that I've worked with who are just like, this sucks. They rip me off. They're doing it for half the price. And because your entire model was built on selling on Amazon, they haven't built that brand. They haven't built that consumer database. They have no way to grow out of that. And so now they're back to the drawing board on building this brand that they should have done from day one. And I think to me, being involved in some e-commerce brands it's really having the marketing people and the CMO, or if it's a founder or whoever's the marketing brain in the room needs to get buy off on the board and the team and everybody else on a very aggressive percentage of sales brand marketing budget. And that brand marketing budget is not just for performance marketing. That's a piece of it. To me, that's where I've seen the biggest pitfalls. And that's where I've experienced the biggest pitfalls where now I'm like, all right, we're going to go raise another round of 2 million. 
okay, well, 20% of that money is going to brand marketing. This performance marketing stuff where we're seeing success won't last forever. And we need to do things that are brand marketing driven. And so, yeah, let's put a percentage on this next round. So, okay, I know we need inventory, but and inventory finances is a nightmare for some of these brands. So that's a whole nother topic, but there needs to be brand marketing initiatives and it has to be built in to the business plan on a percentage of sales and everyone has to be bought in. And then yeah. when they bitch about whatever they're going to complain about or give you their opinion on in terms of what marketing tactics you're doing, because everybody has an opinion on it, like, oh, we gave this influencer 10 grand. I think we should have gave them five grand. Like, what are they really doing? You know, it's like, come on. But if you get that buy-in, especially for e-commerce brands, 20, 25% of sales or revenue need to be going into marketing. And that all can't be just performance marketing because I know that gets everyone excited and the numbers match up, but it doesn't last forever. So yeah. anyway, it's a whole- Yeah, that, their board always comes back. What's the ROI on that spend? And you're like, well, the ROI of my total spend, but this chunk of it was not intended for me to report exactly back. I do have a question for you because I look at these models all the time and I feel like depending on I'm consulting with someone or the business, the company that I'm at, whether it's B2B, whether it's B2C, determining that percent that you want to put towards brand marketing. And especially there are some easier models. If you say, look, like we're profitable, we're generating revenue, we're going to put 10% of revenue back into brand marketing. When you're going for another round of funding and you all of a sudden get a fat check, what percent of that to put into it? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it obviously depends based on the business plan and the category, of course, and the size of company. P&G is in the 15% and they own all the shares and they're still doing that. So if you're a fast growing, aggressive, high growth brand, I think it should be above 20%. Now that might not fit into the business plan. That might not work for the margin, but depending on company, anywhere from 10 to 30%, I think is kind of the guardrails. Now, again, there's extreme examples on both sides of those where that isn't going to work. And it depends on margin. If the margins in the 40 percentile kind of range, then yeah. And your hyper growth and your e-commerce only. I don't see why 20% is out of the range of possibilities, but maybe this isn't a quick flip and you want it. This is like a family legacy thing. You want to hold for longer than a flip. So maybe you're in the 12% range and you're just growing steady and it's a real high priced item that takes a lot of care. So lower, but you know, everybody, I'm always worried about what does three and five years look from now? And are we really building a moat to competitors? And so most people that start e-commerce brands are worried about staying in business and financing inventory when they start, then it gets going. And I'm always, as the marketing person, worried about product differentiating, differentiation. I'm worried about campaign differentiation and tone differentiation. And then I'm worried about what kind of mode are we building for competitors? Right, right. And so that's where that percentage really comes in play. But when you have 10% of a two to 10 or $15 million number, and half of it's maybe going to performance marketing, half's going to brand without really true hard KPIs of success, just freaks people out. But the sophisticated, smart brand, that's what they're doing. And I also think there are ways in terms of influencers for early stage brands versus later stage brands. I agree with you on influencer marketing. It's still the biggest opportunity. It's the biggest frustration. But I think there's ways if you're raising money, I'm a big fan of put option pools together for employees. I think there should be option pools for influencers and getting big influencers piece of equity of these brands, I think is really important and a huge missed opportunity, but it's really hard to 
get buy-in from boards and people to like understand, hey, we're taking 10% of the company, 15% of the company, and we're putting an option pool together for influencers. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, yeah, no, I'm not kidding you. That's exactly what we're doing because they're going to be bought in for a long time. And we don't have the cash at the percentage level that I want. So this is what we're doing. I do think that that mentality is being adopted though. Absolutely. Because you reduce your risk. When we get paid, they get paid. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, so you and I have similar challenges because I've thought about this. If even as simple as our CEO marketing background or finance background, because that's going to influence what my recommendation is for how much goes to brand. Because one's going to get not. Absolutely. But like anything, maybe start high with a negotiation, knowing the CFO is going to come down and the board's going to come down. And I think I'm a big fan of early stage companies and even brand marketing people that are inside the company. Having another, if they're building a board, having another marketing minded board member is crucial. It's not a situation to be nervous about. It's a situation that nine times out of 10 will help you because having that person on the board or, or will, will convince other people that what you're saying is actually correct yeah, <laughs> and an they're ally. thinking about it the wrong way. Yes. Totally. You end up with an ally. And luckily today I have, I've reported into CEOs who are really CFOs. Today, we have an incredible CEO who's got a very strong marketing background. We've got marketing guys on the board. And so I've actually been very impressed how easily some of my proposals have been approved. <laughs> didn't have to go to battle for it. Where do you do? You do have to go to battle and you have to justify why you're spending on brand versus direct lead generation or transactions. So. The right people will get it though. Those guys or gals will, will be happy. I, I don't know, we kind of went in a really interesting direction there, but I think, I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show too and startups and e-commerce. So I think this was helpful. Like how should we be thinking about checkout? How should we be thinking about percentage of ad spend in our space, influencer? And we covered just a lot of amazing topics, I think. I'm biased, but what do you think? Like maybe final words for the rebrand? Yeah. I mean, I guess if we recap, if, if you're in B2B, if you want some final words on B2B, I think you've got to take the risks. I think B2B companies are afraid to take risks. They are all like copy and paste replicas of each other. I mean, even the colors, if you look, bold just went bright pink and purple. And it's not because I'm a woman and those are my favorite colors or anything like that. It's because we stand out from the rest and we're edgy and we talk to the other businesses like they're humans because they are. And I think you've got to calculate risks with channels. B2B mm -hmm. has the same stodgy playbook where everyone's doing the same thing and it's not sexy. And frankly, for a lot of the marketers, they don't think it's very much fun. I think there's a lot of possibility there to find new channels, take more risks, stand out in the noise and be really successful by hyper-focusing and creating a really unique brand identity. Hell yeah. I like that. I think that's a good little playbook for the B2B marketers out there. And yeah, maybe this is something we should send if you're having trouble with that CFO or you're talking about being bold and, and opportunities and getting some pushback. Maybe maybe send this podcast from Casey here and give him this. <laughs> I love I'll it. Well, <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. We're way over, of course, but I think it was worth it. Thanks, Casey Gannon, Vice President of Growth at Bold Commerce for joining us. If you'd like to contact Casey, uh, you can find her LinkedIn profile in our show notes or her company website is boldcommerce.com. You're awesome. Thanks. That was great. If you can't wait till our next episode, you want to learn more about Casey, you'll find her LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit their company website at boldcommerce.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about if you didn't have a chance to take notes. You guys know the drill. Everything is at rebrandpod. Dot com summaries and LinkedIn information, guest information. So that website's just purely a resource wherever you need all things rebrand. Maybe you heard a little insider and you want to go back or maybe you want to send something to somebody, that, that's your spot. 
If you also want to apply to, to be on the show, we're looking for guest speakers. I review these about every two weeks. Some are great. Some are not a fit. That's okay. But we want to have the best brand marketers on the show, the best entrepreneurs. I want to hear about the best new tech that's out there for our industry. And we just want to have real conversations about it. You can always find me on social media. It's just at Scott Hartke. We have some other stuff for Rebrand Pod, but we're really not pushing that out yet. We're really just focused on the podcast. So again, thanks for all the support. And our biggest KPI, as you know, is subscriptions. So hit that subscribe button. That's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 